Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Uh, we are in the book of Luke, and in the book of Luke, there are many, many plots. It's like a, it's like a movie towards there's the main plot. Have you seen Hacksaw Ridge by chance? Seen this? It's a movie about a war, right? Okinawa, um, World War II. It's about that, right? Well, yeah, but it's kind of about a guy who says, I'm not going to carry a gun. Well, yeah, but it's kind of about a guy who manages to save tons and tons of people without using a weapon. Well, yeah, but have you seen it? It's like Saving Private Ryan meets The Notebook, you know? It's a love story, too. There's the plot, then there's the subplot, then there's another subplot. And the Gospel of Luke is very much the same way. What is the main idea? The main idea is Luke is writing to his friend to say, every single thing you've heard about Jesus is true. Every single thing. That's, not, that's the main point, but what's the next point? Well, one of the first things we pointed out was Luke mentions more marginalized groups of people than any of the other gospel writers. We also learned that Luke is about evangelism, pointing to the idea that, you know what? There's some people you need to get over your bias and you need to invite them in here as well. It's about evangelizing the world. Take the message of Jesus and take it throughout the world. But there's, there's some other ones too. Another one that we're about to stumble onto is called the travel narrative. And it starts in Luke chapter 9 later on in the chapter. And the travel narrative in Luke's gospel is from chapter 9 to the end of the book. It's all about Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And Luke keeps bringing it up over and over and over. And this happened while Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And when you see these repeating phrases, you're supposed to be like, oh, he's saying something here. He's, this is a clue. He's dropping a clue. Like this is that moment in the movie to where you're like she's not his real mother oh my goodness you know because this is what it is and it's one of those and jesus did this while he was on his way to jerusalem we're going to find that as we go on through the through the gospel of luke um the travel narrative that's that's one of them but today we want to talk about another maybe just a, a small very thin layer but luke uses a word and apart from Mark, the gospel writer Mark, using it one time, Luke is solely responsible for the use of this word in the New Testament. Seven different times. Combined in the book of Luke and the book of Acts, both Luke's writing, he is the only one, apart from Mark, who uses this one word. We're in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1, if you want to follow along. I want to read through the passage for you. Luke 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, that's the word, called the twelve together. It's a rallying, okay? Um, you know, like at the end of those superhero movies, and there's this like, dun, 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 and Iron Man's like getting a suit on, dun, 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 dun. And then like in comes somebody else, like we're going to do this thing. Yes, we are. You know what I mean? Like that. And Jesus called all of the disciples together. And what you should be hearing as you read this is this. Dun, 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 
Like, this is what's happening inside the book. So as you read this passage, this is what you're hearing, okay? And he says, uh, verse 1, when Jesus had called the 12 together, dun, 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 he gave them power and authority. Did I turn this on? Oh, I turned it on, okay. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If the people do not welcome you, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that town as a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Verse 7, when Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John the Baptist was raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets from long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. It's the rallying. Do you remember, do you remember football? Danny, call the huddle. Huddle up! You know, the sinners yell, huddle up! And everybody kind of huddles up. So Jesus says, Thaddeus, call the huddle. And so Thaddeus is like, huddle up, and everybody gets there. And of course, this is the way it's playing out in my mind. This is not real. This is not scriptural, okay? So I need you to just give me a second. Let me get this out. Um, it's kind of maniacal, but this is what I see and hear unfolding in my head. And I, I know it's not correct, but this is what's happening. Jesus calls the huddle, and they show up, and then Peter facetiously says something like, oh, we're going to run a trick play, you know, and James and John are like, I'm the quarterback, I'm the quarterback, you know, I'm going to be the quarterback. Jesus is like, hey, 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 listen, listen, it's time, it's time. The people of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel have been oppressed for far too long, and Peter pulls out a sword real quick, and he's like, and we're going to get them, like it, and Jesus is like, Put that away, please, and listen to what I'm saying. Rome is not the enemy. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Satan is the enemy. The people are not the enemy. Do you need to hear this this morning? You know if you read too much Facebook news, people become the enemy, right? It's the that agenda or this agenda. It's the rights, it's the left. Are you with me? Then you get nasty and you get bitter, don't you? True story. Happens to me. That's why I can't read it. Otherwise, I get all, it's them. I'm going to get them. Better not see them in the street. Tear them up. They become the enemy. It's one of Satan's, one of Satan's tricks is to get you to focus not on, not on the spiritual thing behind it, but on the people. It's them. If it wasn't for them, then we'd all be fine. It's them. Wait a second. You think that's what we're battling against? I think Jesus said something different, didn't he? We, we, we battle not against flesh and blood. And Jesus says, Rome is not the enemy. It's not the corrupt legal system, okay? It's not the broke down religious system. That's not what it is. The biggest problem with all this is spiritual. And it's Satan. 
And Satan is the one who's behind all of it. And Jesus says, now we're going to take a step forward. From this moment forward, I've got to apologize because it's happening again inside my mind. Jesus says, I now empower you to go out, preach the gospel, cast out demons, and heal the sick. And the disciples are like this. Like right now? Like we got it now? Yeah. Peter's like, Like, for real, like now? Like, this is what it's, like, it, like, this is the way it unfolds. And Jesus is like, stop doing it. No, stop. It's happening. There's two words that are used. You give them authority and you give them power. Power is dunamis, this idea of where we get the word dynamite. The other one is excusia, which is this authority, which means jurisdiction. There's a new sheriff in town right? There's a new sheriff in town, and I'm going to go ahead and broaden the borders of my jurisdiction. I'll go wherever I want to go. And Jesus says, God has now empowered you and has given you power over all of the jurisdiction, his jurisdiction, which is everything. Oh, like the whole world, like the whole world and the whole spiritual world. Now you've got it all. Time out. It was just a chapter earlier that these guys got on a boat. Do you remember this? They got on a boat, and they go to cross the other side. And a storm comes up that is, that is so gnarly that seasoned sailors are freaking out, and they're waking Jesus up from his nap, because Jesus naps during storms, because that's most people do nap during storms. And they're waking Jesus up, and their report is this. We're all going to drown. There's no, there's no, hey, you think we ought to do something? Think we ought to uh, pray? Or Jesus is like, I'm sleeping. Um, we're all going to die. Jesus wakes up from his nap. He gets to the edge of the boat. He looks at the winds and the waves. He wipes the sleep from his eye and he says, hey, 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 hey. No bark. No more. Stop. And everything just goes. And the disciples are like, Ooh, that was freaky. Jesus turns before he goes back to bed. He looks at him and he says, where's your faith? He says that Jesus is gone and then they look at each other, all of them. Imagine all 12 of them looking at him. They're like, this is scriptural right here. Who is this guy? So we went from who is this guy like two weeks ago to now, hey, you. Go change the world. All right, because they're ready for that. When the boat finally lands from that terrible experience right there, do you remember where it comes up? It comes up on the shore of a creepy cemetery in a place called the Gadareans. Do you remember what happened there? A crazy man comes running out from the tombs. It's not jewelry. It's not bling that he's got on him. It's chains that they try to lock this man up, and he broke loose. He lives in the tombs, and he comes running out. He yells to Jesus, Jesus, son of the most high God, do not torture me. Can you see the disciples? Here's what's interesting. The disciples say no words during this whole story. None. Because you can imagine they're like, does Jesus torture people? No, Jesus don't torture people. What is he talking about? How do he know his name? Like all these things running through their head. They don't say one word. And Jesus says, what is your name? He says, 
My name is Legion, for we are many. And the disciples are like, oh, he just went plural. He just went, we are many? You don't say my name is we are. This guy's bananas. Jesus says, I command you to come out. The demons come out of the man. The man set clothed and in his right mind. I believe that's what Mark says. The demons leave and go into a herd of pigs and run right off the side of a hill and all die. And the disciples are standing there like, huh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry about your pigs. I don't. Like you could suck it. This was them just like not long ago. And now Jesus is saying, I have empowered you to go cast out demons. And you can kind of hear like Matthew saying something like, you're not talking about like in the, the creepy cemetery guy again, are you? That weirded me way out. Didn't it weird you? Weirded me way out. We're going to be doing that? Jesus is like, listen. Go into all these places and preach the gospel. And where people are sick, heal them. And where the demon possessed, cast out the demons. You won't need anything to go with you. You won't need an extra shirt. You won't need money. You won't need to pack any food. Everything will be provided. Does Jesus really think these guys are ready for this kind of mission? Luke builds it up. Dun, dun, dun. And he rallied the troops together. Dun, dun, dun. Now, you go out there and change the world. I don't know about you, but there are these moments in my life to where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not cut out for this. Like, I'm not cut out for this. And I don't mean life. Like, that's a completely different question, which I also feel like most of the time I'm not cut out for. But when it comes to church, ministry, being a Christian, I sometimes feel like I am not cut out for this. Luke and I went to uh, Kauffman Stadium a um, month, month and a half ago or so to a, to a uh, pastor's luncheon. Um, a bunch of people from all over met up at Kauffman Stadium. And as I'm sitting in this room and I'm looking at all these guys who are, who are ministers, all I can think to myself is, which of these things doesn't belong here? <laughs> Tell me which one, which of these? I guess all I could think. Like, dude, you are, you are not, you are not, you don't fit this thing very good. And on the way home, that's the way I was like, Dude, I'm telling you, like this is, sometimes I just question whether or not this is where I'm supposed to be. And I don't mean this like, send me a letter and tell me like, oh no, buddy, you're doing good, hang in there. I just mean, being straight honest, sometimes the mission of the gospel is huge. And the responsibility of a Christian to take the message to broken people, to people who are absolutely opposed to the gospel message, and to tell them, this is how... God wants you to live your life. And this is what the truth of Scripture is. That seems... And to expect, like, everything to change. That's hard. Does Jesus really think they're ready? <laughs> no. No, he doesn't. Does he trust that they're going to say the right thing? They're not going to lead somebody astray? I mean, like, they didn't know who he was two weeks ago on the boat, Remember? And now he's like, go be my messenger. Messenger, this idea of being the sent one, an apostle, the sent one, that is, go represent me well. Jesus calls these guys 
who couldn't figure him out two weeks ago on the boat and says, go represent me. Does he really think? No, 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 he doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't. But see, here's the difference. Here's where I align. If I sit around and I look at my abilities and my strengths, all of a sudden, I'm completely intimidated by the commission, the enormity, the enormous size of this commission Jesus gives us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the disciples could not have felt any different. But see, that's the difference. Is that when Jesus calls people, the work of God is not done by the wise. The work of God is done by the willing. Uh, did they go to seminary? No, they didn't. They didn't go to seminary. Check out this verse. I want to read this to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to lead the strong. Do you feel weak? Do you feel foolish? You'll do then you'll do. I, I want to help God and I want to I be involved in his mission, but I, I, I feel like I'm not real bright. Didn't go to seminary. Don't really know a lot. And Jesus is like, perfect. Otherwise, you know what happens is we begin to lean on our own strengths and our own abilities. And I don't know about you, but I'm not like a walking highlight reel. You know? Like if you begin to take my, my life, like, oh, you want to go? Let's project everybody's thoughts on the big screen. We'll go one by one. Who's in? Not me. No, I don't want them. Don't put them up there. And not just thoughts. Don't even put my actions up there. Don't even put all my actions up there. I don't want that to happen. How could he continue to use me? Paul says he chose, personally chose, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. You know what keeps the wise up at night? Wondering how in the world did God use him? How in the world did God use you? What in the world? Why does God love you so much that he's going to choose you? Do you feel broke down? Do you feel beat down? Do you have a past of being tossed out and neglected? Pushed away? Abused? Oh, oh, oh. that's who he's looking for. That's who he's looking for. Somebody with a willing heart to just say, I just want to be used. We see this whole thing unfold later on in the book of Acts. After the resurrection of Jesus and then at, uh, after Pentecost, Peter and John are walking along and there's a lame man on the side of the road. And Peter and John heal him. The next day, they get called in before the elders, the teachers of the law. They bring him in there and they're like, okay, we need to talk. By what power and whose name did you heal that man? And Peter, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, says, if we're being called into account today, for an act of kindness shown to a lame man, then let me explain my position. It is by the power and name of Jesus Christ, the, the cornerstone. The one you rejected, this rock you rejected, is now the cornerstone of the whole thing. And then the next verse says this, and they looked at Peter and John and knew they were unschooled and ordinary men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. Do you want to make a difference in the world? Spend time with Jesus. But do I need a seminary education? 
probably more than likely you'd be better off without it. What you need is time with Jesus. Can people look into our life and say, I don't know what they know, but they, it seems like they've spent time with Jesus. That's the difference maker when it comes to completing this mission for Christ. Next thing we see is, um, is this, this, uh, this next part. Paul explains 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I feel like a broken vessel. I feel like a cracked vase. I feel like a busted jar. Paul said, you are. It's what you are. Because you know what is freakier than anything in the world? is when you can pour living water out of a broken cup. Because then people want to walk around it in circles, right? They want to look underneath like that weird deal in Grandpa's mansion in Silver Dollar City where the water's coming out of the hydrant, except there's no hydrant connected to anything. And this is what it is. How is this coming out? How does living water come from something that is so broken and busted? It's because it's not about us. It's about Him. Next part that we learn from Luke is this. Not everybody's going to hear this. You're going to take the message of Jesus out into the world and not everybody's going to hear it. And he tells the disciples, don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. See, here's the deal that we get hung up on. Success when it comes to a church is based on numbers and baptisms. That is the whole, that's the whole. We take maturity out of it. We take raising children up in the church out of it. Take sanctification out of it. We take the moment to where the, the, uh, the wayward sinner walks in off the street, comes into a church service, experiences the presence of God. We take that out of it? No, see, the measuring device of success is obedience, not numbers. Did we carry out the mission? Yes. The success is based on did we go do what we were told to do? And if Christ is asking us to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and then we use numbers in the old, in the old school churches, they used to have the uh, sign up on the, up on the deal. Do you remember those? And where we grew up in church, uh, uh, partway through service, a guy would come walking up with this stack of, this stack of uh, little cards, and he would replace it, and like it would distract everything. Preachers preaching away, and this guy's filing numbers. Oh, wow, 432. That's really good this morning. That's fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. And the guy's just preaching away. Luke's dad be preaching away, and up there, somebody filing in numbers. And was like, oh, we're doing good. We're doing good. It's not, that's not the, it's not the measuring device for success. The measuring device for success is our obedience. Are you taking the message of Jesus Christ out into the world? Are you sharing your testimony about what God has done in your life with other people? That's the measuring device. It's based on obedience. It's not based on numbers. Third thing is this. Finally, Luke tells us that the impact that the 12, the 12 disciples made on the world around them was so big. Check this out. Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about it. Could you do anything today that would get the attention of Congress? Anything. I mean, maybe if you said something creepy on the phone and they were listening or whatever, you know. 
If you go buy a bunch of C4, probably, yeah. But could you go out with the message of Jesus and get the attention of Congress? Wow, what in the world? For real? Check this out. Here's what I love about this. Jesus, born to a couple who was not married, gets the attention of Herod the Great. Herod Great goes on a killing rampage. He's looking for Jesus and wants to snuff him out at Jesus' birth. And then now here he is. He takes these unpolished, unprepared disciples, learners, and he lets them loose with just the gospel message. And all of a sudden, the castle walls are rumbling and shaking. And Congress is like, uh, did you hear about this deal that's going on around here? What's it like, flash mobs? No, it's not. Is it like fidget spinners? No, shut up. It's not about that. It's about the message of Jesus Christ. What? Like people are getting free from all kinds of crazy stuff right now. What do you mean free? Like, do you remember the old stories of the old prophets? Remember John the Baptist, the one you had killed? This is Herod the Tetrarch, Herod the Great Son. And now Jesus is rattling that one. Do you see another subplot beginning to develop right here? I'm going to go ahead and do my thing, but I promise you it's going to disrupt yours. I'm going to go ahead and keep carrying out my mission, and I promise you it's going to cross yours up. Just a word of warning. You mess with Jesus too long, you start messing with your pocketbook, you start messing with your friends, you start messing with your job, you start messing with all kinds of stuff. Why? Because he's kind of going to do his thing. You can get on board or not. He's going to do his thing. Our message is so powerful. The message of Jesus that he has handed over to us is so powerful that we can disrupt the world. It will land in the lap of the king if we take it out and we just rely solely on it. Not on our abilities, solely on that, the power of the cross. I got overwhelmed talking about, I was talking to my wife about um, just the, the idea that when you look out into the world and you think to yourself, are we making a difference as Christians? Like, are we really like, <laughs> I mean, do we have the world on their heels? Eh. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, isn't it? Like, you can look at all the, all the visible signs and you can think, like, we are losing. But you've got to know that by faith, like, God is doing something else. Like, he's not going to be beaten. But it's easy to get discouraged. And I'm telling my wife, I'm like, sometimes I think like there's people who are better at this than I am, who are, you know, holier than me, who are more moral than me, who are better preachers than me. And like the mission is, okay, listen here, all of you, go out and change the world. And I told my wife on the phone, I was like, I can't even remember to change the light bulb in the bathroom. This is it. This is the one. Do you know how long it's been uh, out in the bathroom? It's not the only light in the bathroom. That'd be weird. <laughs> but this is one that was out. You know how long it's been out? Months. Months and months and months and months and months and months. I can't remember to change the light bulb. And Jesus is like, go change the world. And I'm like, the light bulbs. Like, I don't do that part. It's like 10 steps to the kitchen underneath, get the bulb. 10, 10 steps back to the bathroom. Get a step stool, change it. And I can't do that, but go change the world. And this is what my wife said. 
because she's a better person than me. Well, it's hard to remember to change the light bulbs when you're busy changing the world. That's why I married you. That's my girl right there. That's why I married you. Her faith is greater than mine. She doesn't think we're losing. She doesn't think we're losing. She's, she's quite sure we're winning. You get up, you go be a Christian where you are, and you change the world. And she gets up, and she goes into her second grade classroom, and she loves these little kids, and she changes the world. And you get up, and you go to the factory, and you pull a lever, and you make a part, and you change the world. And you go, and you step on a scene, and you evaluate a situation, and you give a report, and you change the world. Why? Because your presence and the fact that you're connected to Jesus Christ changes the world. So it's not on me. It's not on you. Whew, that's a relief. That's a relief. I don't care what it is that you're not changing right now. Those things are hard to change when you're busy changing the world. Go change the world. We had a professor in school, and this is what he used to say. Every, every uh, Friday at the end of class, he would say, go to church and go be the church. Go to church and go be the church. I'm glad you're here this morning. Go be Christians where you are. Go love the Lord. Go be Christians where you are. Let's pray, and we'll get out of here. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday weekend. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. Lord, we appreciate the fact that you are not banking the success of your kingdom off of us. But Lord, off of our willingness and off of our obedience. Lord, pray that you will empower us, give us strength, give us faith, give us courage to step out, to take that step in faith, to do the thing we need to do. Lord, so that you can do the thing that you're going to do. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good day.